This is Joel Johnson, Senior Minister at Parkview Christian Church. I want to thank you for listening to our sermons online. If you have any questions, feel free to contact me by email at joeljohnson at parkviewfinley.org. It always makes me nervous when people clap before I start speaking. It feels like one of those buyer's remorse things afterwards. They're like, we shouldn't have clapped. We should not have clapped for that. Kyoto Koto Parkview Fano. That simply means hello to the Parkview family, and honestly, it feels that way. Feels like a little bit of a family reunion. Um, as Joel said, it was, well, it was more than a few. It was 17 years ago that I was an intern right here. I remember sitting on that stage, standing on that stage, because Neil told me that all I really needed to do to impress everybody was just talk. I could read I could read out a list of grocery items, he told me, and it would be fine, which I did, actually, on my last Sunday, if you remember. So a little bit has changed since then. I've got a little less up here and a little more down here, but that's what, uh, that's what New Year's resolutions are for, right? <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> I don't know why you laugh at that. That's... But I love seeing the familiar faces, I really do. It's been awesome to just sort of look around the room and see the people who were here and supporting me as I just started out, and I was super awkward. It's okay for you to say that. It was, it was, it was my first time, I was a second internship, but it was my first time sort of really getting involved in ministry, and I just wanted to say how much I appreciate this church for the way that you have invested in me. Um, and in my family, not just then in that internship, but also later as I went into church planting and Molly uh, joined me and, and you've continued to support us financially through prayer and through your love uh, for the last 17 years. Um, and it has impacted me a lot. It's personally very gratifying to me, but also I want you to know that that love, that support, that investment has gone to extend the kingdom of God in, in, in small ways. That's not me saying I'm awesome. That's just me saying that what you do impacts not just the people that you love, but the people that they connect with as well. And so I just wanted to thank you so much for the incredible support that you guys have had. Now, some of you don't know me. There'll be quite a lot of you people like, who is this guy? He's like, he sounds like he's very familiar with the church, but I've never seen him before. And that's fine. My name is Hamish Taylor, and I'm from the little old country of New Zealand, right down on the bottom of the world. You can probably see it. Yeah, there we are. Uh, we're tucked down next to Australia, next to not part of Australia. For those of you who know me, this is a bit of an issue. All right, so do not confuse it. But if you know New Zealand, you probably know it because of Lord of the Rings, right? How many of you have seen Lord of the Rings? Yeah, the rest of you are lying. You've all seen it. It's, it's like basically this was a movie that was designed to advertise New Zealand to the world. That's really what it was. It's not about the movie. It's not about the characters. It's about the scenery, right? And in fact, those movies were coming out right around about the time that I was doing my internship. And basically, it, it kick-started, like it just revolutionized the tourism industry in New Zealand. To the point that after everyone kind of forgot about it, they had to kind of do it again, so they did The Hobbit. And so then we had The Hobbit movies come out as like, oh yeah, remember New Zealand? Come on back. You know, it's all good. And then, you know, a little bit later, we just, we had to do it again. And so we did the Rings of Power TV show. Have you seen that one? Again, basically, we're just going to keep ramming our scenery down your throat until you come out to New Zealand and spend all your money. All right, that's, that's what we're trying to do here. So... 
do that. Now, unfortunately, as, as pretty as our landscape is in New Zealand, we do have some lovely scenery. It's a beautiful country. The spiritual landscape is a little bit more bleak. It's not quite as nice. New Zealand is what we often call a post-Christian nation, which means it used to be a very strong Christian nation. There used to be thousands of churches throughout the country. There's Everybody went to church on a Sunday morning. That was just what you did. And we even sent missionaries around the world. It was, it was a very strong, solid faith. But over the last few generations, things have changed. And it's kind of slipped from being a strong Christian nation to one where Christianity has been set aside, it has been walked past. People have no longer, they no longer consider it a relevant, worthwhile part of their existence. Now, this may sound a little familiar to you, right? I mean, we, you guys live in a country that is on a similar path, where once it was very strong Christian, and now people have become less and less interested in Christianity. Am I right? Like, you've, you've seen this, I hope, as well. Now, I was uh, fortunate enough to grow up in a Christian family. I didn't realize how lucky I was until I looked back. But I grew up, my, both my parents were Christian. I grew up in a church. My parents' parents, my grandparents' parents, all of them all the way back were Christians was a very rare thing for New Zealand. And so it wasn't until I came to the States and I went to Bible college, and in fact, it was right after the internship I did here, I took a directed study. I started looking back at New Zealand in terms of the spiritual landscape, and it wasn't until then that I realized how far we had gone, to the point now where it's estimated as little as 3% of the population will go to church on a regular basis. And with that comes a whole host of issues and social issues uh, that go alongside that. We have one of the highest youth suicide rates in the world. Uh, we have it was estimated one in five people dealing with uh, mental health issues, a lot of domestic abuse, uh, alcohol abuse, those sorts of things. Which is why I felt the, the call to go back to New Zealand and start a church. And as you guys will know, some of you know me, this is our second church plant that we've started. This one is in Auckland and is named Church Northwest. Uh, and we like it. It's a lovely little church. Um, it's our mission is to help each other take our next step towards Jesus. And things are going really, really well, even with pandemic, even with lockdowns and having to be online and all of that hoo-ha. Uh, we've managed to continue to grow and God has continued to bless us. And I'd love to share some more about that with you. So um, my understanding is that after, a little bit later on, there's, we're going to do a little presentation. Joel, can you remind me of the, it's in the fireside room, right? Yes, yes, okay. So uh, after lunch there, if you would like to come and hear a little bit more detail about what's going on, ask some questions, grill me on what's going on in New Zealand, we'd love that. All right, but this morning, what I wanted to do is I wanted to tell you a story, if that's okay. A little story time with Hamish to start off the new year. As actually, it's a New Zealand story. It's a story uh, told by the Māori people of New Zealand. And as it happens, it's a New Year's story. So it's perfectly timed for today, because as we kick off a new year, uh, the Māori people are basically halfway through their year. Um, so most people follow the, the, the regular January to December calendar. But the traditional New Year for the Māori people is around June, July, and it's called Matariki. 
And Matariki is actually a, a cluster of stars. As you can kind of see in the picture, there's a group of seven stars. Um, and they come up, they're based on the Pleiades um, cluster, which we understand. So that arrives in the night sky in New Zealand around June, July. And it represents, to the Māori people, it represents the shift from winter to the beginning of warmer weather. It's the depth of the, win of the winter. And from that point on, when they see those stars, they can celebrate, they can have hope because summer is on the way. They've made it through the worst. Everything's going to get a little bit better, which is it's kind of a nice little thing, isn't it? And so alongside with this um, time of year is a whole host of stories that are told and shared amongst the people. Now, we know that every culture has stories, right? Every culture, including our own, loves to tell stories about the way things have been, the who we are, how things operate. And uh, the Māori people are no different. They're very strong storytellers. And there's some really interesting stories that come along with that. What's interesting, too, is that when the British came to New Zealand and they brought their missionaries, they started hearing some of these stories. And you know what their immediate response was? Well, those are incorrect stories. They are stories about gods and deities and myths and monsters and all of this sort of stuff. And so like, these are the wrong stories. We need to set those stories aside. And here is the truth about who God is, which is true. That is the truth about who God is, about how he made the world, about how he rules the world. And that's really good, except what happened was is we cast aside an opportunity. I believe we cast aside an opportunity to build bridges into cultures. What do I mean by that? What I mean is that every story that a culture tells is not just about what the story is about. They tell stories about how the seasons work, about how the world was created, about all of those sorts of things. But underneath those stories are deeper human questions. Questions about who am I? Where do I fit into the world? How do I live a successful life? These are questions that the gospel has answers for, yes? So there are intersections between the stories of cultures expressing deep human desires and the story of God that answers them. And I think when we listen to stories that cultures tell and we hear where their heart's desires is, we can bring a story into intersection with that. Does that make sense? Like we can help show how God answers those questions instead of just setting those stories aside and telling our own. So here's what I want to do this morning. What I want to do is I want to tell a story and I want to see how our understanding of who God is intersects with that story and answers some of those questions. And so the story is about Matariki. Actually, it's kind of a double story. Uh, there's a story that um, I came across a book um, called Matariki Breakfast. It's actually a learn-to-read book that I found in one of our schools. And it's a very interesting story around the Māori New Year. It's like I said, it's got a two parts to the story. The first part is a famous story that every New Zealander knows, and it just kind of mentions that story, and then it tells a bit of a sequel. So the first story is about a guy named Maui. Now, if you have kids 
who are under the age of like 15, you probably know Maui or they've told you about him, right? You guys remember him from Moana? I'm going to a few nods. Okay, that's right. So this Maui right here is not the same as the New Zealand Maui. Each Pacific nation kind of has their own stories about Maui. Our one is a little less rotund than that one. And so well, this, is, this is our Maui. Uh, he's a uh, very, very interesting sort of fellow. He's, he's, he's not always the, the best guy, but there is a story about how in Maui slowed the sun. Now, the story goes like this. Tama Nui Tera is the name of the sun, and he had one job. His job was to rise in the morning, to move across the sky, to give light and warmth to the land so that people could go fishing and hunting and farming and all of that, and then he would go down in the, in the evening to his home. Well, Tama Nui Tera was feeling a little bit lazy, and really all he wanted to do is he wanted to get back to his cave and binge watch Netflix. So what he did is he started moving across the sky very, very quickly. He would just scream across the sky as fast as he could, and he would get down to his home. And what that meant was the days were too short. People couldn't plant farm their crops. They couldn't go fishing. They couldn't hunt. They couldn't do whatever it is they needed to do. And so they started suffering. And Tama Nui Tera was this enemy of the people. And so Maui, he's like, well, I can do something about this. And so Maui, he gathers his brothers together and he makes these magical flax ropes because, you know, he's a demigod. He's part God, part human. So he can do stuff like that. And he, he went to where Tama Nui Tera rose in the morning. So he sort of camped out next to the hole where Tamanui Tera, the sun, comes up. And as the sun comes up, he throws the flax ropes over him, ties him down. And he says, Tamanui Tera, you've got to slow down. The people are suffering. They can't live. They can't do what they need to do when you're going so fast. And he's like, who are you? I don't, I don't need to listen to you. I'm just going to do whatever I want. So Maui then grabs his big jawbone and he beats the sun. This is, this is not a particularly friendly story. Um, Maui kind of has his own sort of vigilante way of doing things. And so he, he starts beating the sun. He's, he doesn't kill him. He doesn't want to kill the sun. He just wants to punish him so that he is injured enough that he will go slowly across the sky. And so after that, the Maui, the hero, he saves the people. Tamanui Tera moves slowly across the sky, and everyone is happy. That's the story that all Kiwis know. All right, so we all know the story of how Maui slowed the sun. It's, it's a classic story. Now, this Matariki breakfast story tell, continues to tell the story, and it's a very interesting where they take the story. It says that after this happened... Tamanui Tera felt shamed. He felt angry and, and sad and grieved and hurt physically. And so he hid away behind the mountains. He didn't want to come out anymore. And so once again, the people were in the cold. They had winter. They, they, it was cold and, and, and inhospitable. But instead of sending Maui to deliver his justice again, something else happened. Matariki, who is the mother star of the um, Matariki cluster, and her six daughters, they went to Tamanui Tera, they went to the sun, and they started loving on him. They started caring for him. They started shining their light on him, giving him their warmth. They started singing to him. 
As they did that, Tamanui Tera, the sun, he started warming up. He started coming back to life again. And eventually he got to the point where he was fully restored and he was able to come out and he was able to go back to his job of going across the sky. Isn't it interesting seeing those two stories next to each other? I was struck the first time I heard that. first time I read it, I was struck by the contrast of the two stories. In the first story, again, if we're, we're sort of looking at what are the human sort of desires and needs underneath the story, right? In that first story, we see this classic story of a villain and the oppressed. We've got the, the bad guy and then this good guy, this hero who comes and delivers justice and rescues the people. You've got good versus evil. You've got justice happening and everything is right with the world. Yes, that's, that's, and there's, Definitely stories of that in the Bible, aren't there? There's the story of God who will avenge the oppressed. He stands up for people. He, he sort of, he is this justice-filled God. But the second story is different. The second story, it takes a very different tone, doesn't it? It's not about justice and vengeance. It's about caring and loving, and reconciliation. And if we think about the human desires that motivate some of these stories, we can see that the humanity desires that when we have been punished, when justice has been served to us, that's not the end of our story. What we desire most of all is to be reconciled, to be brought back, to be rehabilitated, to be loved, to be forgiven. Yes? Well, do you think the gospel has anything to say about that? Do you think Jesus has anything to say about the human desire to be restored and forgiven and brought back to life? I hope yes is the answer to that question, because he does. In fact, that is his story. I want to read this passage from Zephaniah chapter 3. It's a beautiful little um, passage. It says, Sing, daughter Zion. This is what God is saying to his people. Sing, daughter Zion. Shout aloud, Israel. Be glad and rejoice with all your heart, daughter Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away your punishment. He has turned back your enemy. The Lord, the King of Israel, is with you. Never again will you fear any harm. On that day they will say to Jerusalem, Do not fear, Zion. Do not let your hands hang limp. The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who says, and I love this part, He will take great delight in you. In His love He will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. Do you hear the story of Matariki here? Do you hear this, this love, this compassion that is being poured out on those who have done wrong? This is who God is. This is the picture of the gospel. It's a beautiful picture of the tender love that God has for us. We were singing all of these wonderful songs this morning about how he has cared for us, how he has loved us, how he has restored us, he has brought us back to life. He has shone his light on us, warmed us up, sung over us. We are here today and we have a hope for our future because of the way that God has, instead of swinging his justice on us, has held back 
his justice in order to provide love and care and restoration and rehabilitation and reconciliation. Yes, that's the story of the gospel. That is the story of the Bible. That's the example that Jesus showed us himself when he came down. When he walked among us, he didn't come with fire and judgment. I mean, he had a few nice words to say to the religious leaders. But to the rest of us, he was just, he was loving. He ate with sinners. He hung out with prostitutes. He, he, he lived among the people, healed the sick. He fed the hungry. He showed mercy. Did he believe deeply in truth and justice? <laughs> you bet he did. Did he put up with sin? No. But he did so. His purpose was not to condemn, but to draw people towards him with love. Listen to his own words. He said, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. So Matariki, the story that I was telling, represents this beautiful intersection between this desire, this deep human desire to be restored and reconciled and loved with God's story of being exactly that. This is who he is. This is what he does. But here's my question for us. We know this. We, we, we talk about this every Sunday. We gather together, we, we worship God because he has reconciled us, because he has loved us. We, we remind each other, we take communion where we remember what God did to, to heal us and to sing over us and to warm us back to his, to, to, to his presence. So we know all of this, but here's my question. If the world is like Tamanui Tera, the sun, if the world truly is at odds with God, and we believe it is, if he is, if the world truly is that enemy, what response is the world getting from us? Is it getting the response of Matariki? Loving, warmth, drawing them back into the presence of God? Or are they getting the justice of Maui? What are they getting from us? Let me tell you, right is right and wrong is wrong, and that's never going to change. We need to hold fast to that. We cannot let go of the truth of what God, who God is and what he wants for our lives. But the world already knows that we disagree with them. The world already knows that we disapprove of the decisions they are making. Does the world know that we love them? Does the world know that we love them? Or here's a more difficult question. Do we love them? Don't answer that. Have a think about it. It's maybe a little controversial, but... As one who lives in a post-Christian world and one who is seeing the post-Christian path that this country is going down, I believe that if we want to see 
the kingdom expand in our spaces, in our communities, if we want to see people come back to God, it is not going to happen when we present right and wrong in their faces first. If we lead with that, we will not see change. We will be right, but we won't see change. If we want the world to come back to God, if we truly believe we have been given the the mission of reconciliation, if that is our mission, it must come with love first. We must be matariki to the world. We must love on people and draw them into the presence of God with our love. When I look back on the life of our church, I, I, I see all sorts of fun things that God has been doing. It's been fantastic. We've seen people make decisions for Christ. That's always an amazing experience. Um, and when we see that, that God has really pulled us together. And so there's a lot that I'm proud of about that whole journey. But when I think about what I'm most proud of with our people, with our church, it's the times when they love on the community, when they use their love to impact people. I want to tell you one story. Um, It's not a great story to start off with, but it it gets better. There was um, a couple of years ago, just about five minutes away from where we were meeting as a church, uh, a police officer was shot and killed in the line of duty. Uh, he pulled someone over and, and, and got shot and was killed. And it really shook our, our, our community. It really sort of shook us to the core because it was right on our back doorstep, you know. This was this is where we lived. Uh, Molly and I used to live literally just around the corner from there. Thankfully, we weren't at the time. But, I mean, we knew this place. This doesn't happen very often in New Zealand. And so it was a difficult time. And at that time, uh, one, of the, uh, one of our elders' wives, um, the wife of one of our elders, not one of the wives of one of our elders, just, just to be clear, not that kind of church. One elder, one wife. Anyway, uh, so that wife worked in the police force um, in the central sort of um, offices, and her job was like a social worker for the police Officers, So she dealt with the emotional backlash of everything that they go through on a day-to-day basis. So you can imagine she was pretty busy. Uh, And she got to see firsthand exactly how scared and sad and angry the police were at this. And she was able to, in that space where there was a tinderbox of just emotions, There were people who wanted to go out and do something about this. She was able to invest love into those people. She couldn't do it overtly with the name of Jesus. That wouldn't be allowed in her role. But she showed Jesus through the way she loved them. She shone over them. She just brought comfort and peace into a chaotic situation. At the exact same time, Another one of our elders, him and his wife um, and their family, actually, their whole family are just, are just a beautiful people. And they have, um, they, they sort of 
their extended family is, is a bit troubled um, family. They have a lot of sort of issues. And they actually knew, through family connections, they knew the person who had shot the officer. And so you had on the other side of this coin, you've got this family who was able to sort of see how scared and sad and angry that side of the community was. And they were able to share some love and peace into that space. Not directly with the person um, who, was, who had shot the officer at that time, but his family, very connected in. And they were able to show peace and Jesus into that space. What other organization on this planet would be able to impact both sides of a situation like that? Where else are you going to find that? Where else are you going to find a group of people who are going to be able to impact both sides of a community chaotic situation, a disaster, a tragedy in this way with the love of Jesus? This is why the church exists. This is why God planted us in the community amongst all of these people so that we can love them and draw them into the presence and the reconciliation and love of God because everybody is broken and everybody needs reconciliation. Yes? Yes. Now, I'm not tooting my own horn. I actually had nothing to do with either of those Two situations. I was just watching this all happen. But it's just amazing to see how God is able to do this. So, let us be Matariki this year. Starting off a new year, fresh slate, resolutions all ready to go, right? Let's make this one of our resolutions this year. Let us be love in our community. Let us care for people. Let us shine our love and our care, just like the story of Matariki, to a hurting world that is in desperate need of reconciliation and hope. Let us provide that. Let us give that to people. Let love be the thing that defines who we are and how people see us. May the Lord make your love Increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as he does for you. But love your enemies. Do good to them and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great and you will be children of the Most High because he is kind to the unjust, ungrateful, and wicked. Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with action and in truth. And now these three things remain, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. A new command I give you, Jesus says, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself in love. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. 
Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Do everything in love. Lord, we, um, we are the recipients of the greatest love in this universe. We serve and are created by a God who defines love and is defined by love. You treat us so much better than we deserve. We gather here every Sunday because we recognize that we we deserve the justice that like Maui gave the son. We deserve that. But instead you treated us like Matariki. You restore us. You bring us back to health. May we do that for the people around us, the ones you love, the ones you created, the ones that break your heart every day when they walk away from you and pursue a life separate from you. We want them back. You want them back so desperately. So may we be your tools of, of, of love. May, be, we, we may, may we be your matariki, that, that we would draw them back into your presence by loving and caring for them. And may your truth shine through that love so that they may know who you are and what is the right way to live. But may we express that through love. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.